So I want to welcome back the crowd of college students. I know how excited you are to be back and studying and applying yourself academically, but it's good to have you back. And uh, also want to thank all of you in advance, or actually thank you for last week for praying for the Green Bay Packers. God answered your prayers. And I'm positive that God will continue to do the same as we move through today. Now let's get to the more important spiritual things. As uh, we're going to be, or I'm going to be bringing a message this morning that's called Connect. My City, Connect. Normally, I don't necessarily pray at this point. We've prayed several times throughout our church uh, experience this morning. But I really do want to have a special prayer before we take a look at the whole idea of my city connect. And the reason is, is the teaching or the sermon that I'll be bringing this morning is one of those that oftentimes at first swipe, some of us are going to say, I already got this. But I'm going to challenge you this morning to remain open all the way through the sermon and all the way through communion. And so the prayer is going to be brief and simple, but it's going to be a prayer that God would open up our hearts and our spirits to the Scripture and to the moving of the Holy Spirit, because I really do believe that some of us are going to be called to account before God this morning through the whole idea of connect and the Scriptures that we're going to be taking a look at. Does that sound okay? All right, even if it's not, we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to help us. So pray with me. Jesus, we come before you now. And we pray for open hearts. God, I ask that your Scripture would be emboldened in our minds and in our hearts. And that the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Scriptures and raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that is in this room and as followers of Jesus is in our hearts, would quicken our minds to the Scriptures. I pray that through this sermon that you would challenge us. And I pray that if there are things in us that are a barrier to us connecting authentically as Christians with others, that you would reveal them to us, that we would surrender them into your presence, and we would walk out in humble obedience. Lord Jesus, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures that we're going to look at, the sermon that we'll hear, and the communion that we'll be taking together. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who've been at City for a long time, you already know that we are a biblically based, relationally driven, spirit-led church. We are a biblically based, relationally driven, driven spirit-led church. And in essence, what that means is that we are based upon Scripture. We're based on that. I remember when my family first came to faith. We had never really been churchgoers at all. When we came to faith, I remember the pastor saying something to about 150 hippies and me and my two brothers with our crew cuts. He said this, when you read something in Scripture that your life does not align with, don't change Scripture, change your life. Biblically based. And then, relationally driven. What that means is, is that we believe that relationship is the most important thing in life. Jesus said it this way, love the Lord your God 
with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What is he teaching? He's teaching that relationship is the most important thing in life. Relationship with God. Relationship with people. And then Spirit-led. What does that mean? That means that we've experienced and the Bible teaches and we believe that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives as followers of Jesus to help us live out the Scriptures that we come to understand and also the power to transform us in the relationships that we live with others. And so we are biblically based, relationally driven and Spirit-led. Those three things come together in the middle of the teaching or the sermon that I'm going to bring this morning. Again, the title of the sermon is simple, My City, Connect. And the question has to be, am I connecting with other followers of Jesus to the point where their life and my life are in unity with one another? It's interesting that the Bible talks more about unity than it does relationship or connecting. It's an incredible spiritual concept that I literally walk in unity, not only in marriage, but also with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, as we've moved through this My City teaching series, we began the first week where I brought a full-on challenge to us as a church. It was sort of that New Year's message where some of you, because of the pending blizzard and storm, didn't quite make it, but all of our messages are free and online at, at, at our City Church website. But the first message that I brought was, how can we guarantee we'll have a God-blessed 2017? We don't have to step into the year and worry and go, oh, well, God bless it or won't He? There's that sense where God calls us to align our lives towards Him so that He can bless my life. That what that meant is, practically, as we move into 2017, that I have to put some things down, and as God leads, maybe I need to pick some things up. And as I do those things through an act of obedience, I align myself for God's blessing. The second message was last Sunday, where we looked at a core value and a pillar of city, which is worship. The idea is, is there are times in my life and yours where worship is actually warfare. Where because of life pressing in, where life seems overwhelming, there's a biblical precedence that when I go to God in worship, even though my circumstances are crushing, when I go to God in worship, and I do so with a humble, genuine heart. There's a divine transaction between God and me. It is a supernatural transaction. And I know because of some correspondence this week that some of you have begun to worship in a new way where you understand that worship satisfies your soul. A couple of people have shared with me about how even as followers of Jesus, they've been trying to satisfy their souls elsewhere, but the psalmist declares that it's in worship that my soul is satisfied by God. Well, as we take a look at the whole idea of connect, the dictionary tells us that to connect means to become joined. Connect can also mean to hit a baseball, you connect with a baseball. 
or as today with Aaron Rodgers as he throws the football and connects with wide receivers. Connect means to establish a rapport with someone. Connect can also mean to establish communication. It can also mean to fasten together. And as I think about all of those, all of those are intentional. When we connect, we connect because we are intentionally trying to connect two things together. The reality of it is, as we walk with Jesus, if we're going to connect with others, it's intentional as well. Maybe you've been at City for a period of time and you haven't been a part of a life group yet. And yet you recognize that in your walk with Jesus, you need other people to walk with you and to encourage you. And maybe even at times confront you or hold you accountable. It might be time for you to connect. I believe it is. Now what we're going to do together is we're going to look at one book of the Bible and it fits on two-thirds of a page in your New Testament. It's called the book of Philemon. And what I'm going to ask that you would do with me is if you would grab a Bible or open your smartphone, turn to the Version Bible app, and pull up the book of Philemon. It's a book where connection or connecting in the body of Christ is central. But you're going to find that there are other auxiliary challenges that will come with this book. If you've never read an entire book of the Bible, you will not be able to say that when you exit this auditorium today. It's a book that is literally accomplished by about six paragraphs. Now as we get ready to read, I think we need a bit of a backdrop. The reason why is, is because when we read it, it's going to make a whole lot more sense. The book is written by the Apostle Paul. In this book, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's most likely in jail, in Ephesus, and he's a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He doesn't view himself that way. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ, says it twice in the letter. He announces that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And in the midst of this letter, and being in prison, he pens it. And as he pens the letter, it is written to a guy by the name of Philemon. Philemon is the title of the letter because he's the one that's the recipient of it. Here's what we know about Philemon. Because he also appears and his friends appear in the book of Colossians. Philemon lives in Colossae. It's a Gentile city. It's a Greek city that's governed by the Romans, that it's about a hundred miles inland from Ephesus where Paul is being held as a prisoner. We can deduce from the letter and from the book of Colossians that Philemon became a follower of Jesus through the ministry, the personal ministry of the Apostle Paul. We also learn through the letter we're getting ready to read that Philemon has a church that meets in his home. He literally has a life group in his home. Not only this, we can deduce he's wealthy. It's a large house. A lot of people's homes weren't big enough to really even have guests. But Philemon's home is big enough to where the church of Colossae can meet in his home. And we'll also learn that he's wealthy because he has slaves. The letter tells us this. 
It's one of the central facts of this letter. We also know that the same relationships that come up in the book of Philemon come up in the book of Colossians. And we know that Philemon, because of his name, was a Greek. He was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. But he had come to Christ. As we read the letter, we're going to discover a few quick things. In the introduction, we meet his wife, Apphia, and we meet his son, Archippus. They live at home with him. We will also discover as we move through this that Philemon's faith is serious. It's central to his life. And because of that, he loves Jesus. And he loves people deeply. Then we'll pick it up in verse 8 through 16 where we're introduced to a guy by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus. We discover that his name means useful. That's literally what the name Onesimus means. We discover he is a runaway slave. Most likely he stole things from Philemon, his master, when he ran away. It's pretty obvious that when he ran away, he made that hundred mile trek to the city of Ephesus, which is a large metropolitan area, so that he could hide, probably sell some of what he has stolen. And we don't know how, but he meets the Apostle Paul. And just like Philemon, he becomes a follower of Jesus. This runaway slave becomes a follower of Christ. And not only does he meet Paul and become a follower of Jesus, but as with every prisoner in ancient Rome, someone has to take care of you. Rome will not do that. Onesimus becomes that person. He takes care of Paul. He makes sure that he is fed. And he becomes like a son to the Apostle Paul. Verses 17 through 21 The Apostle Paul writes to Philemon and challenges him with a depth of connecting that is absolutely unheard of during biblical times. It is absolutely radical. And then he closes with final greetings. So what I'd like for us to do together is to read quickly through the letter of Philemon. It's on page 967 in the Bibles that we provide. And I would like to read through the letter and I would like for you to pay attention as I read. Read along with me. Here's what Paul writes. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. Timothy, by the way, receives two letters in the Newer Testament. First and second Timothy. He's also the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Reading on. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, Also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. That's Philemon's wife, Apphia, his son, Archippus. And to the church that meets in your home. They have a life group. Paul's writing a letter to Philemon, who runs that church in his home. Grace and peace to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul commends Philemon. I always want to thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all His holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement. 
because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Do any of you have someone in your life that when you get around them, you leave encouraged? Raise your hand. You got someone like that? If they're sitting next to you, just wrap your arms around them and say, thank you. This wife just did that to her husband. Wives, you had your chance and you missed it. It's over. Window closed. You had your chance. Thank God for people like this. I have a friend of mine that all I have to do is think about him and I begin to smile. You have a friend like that? Do you? How about we all try to be a friend like that? How does that sound? There you go. But the idea here is, is that when Paul thinks about Philemon, he smiles. Here's a guy that meets Christ with Paul in Ephesus, and he goes home to Colossae, and he opens a church in his home. And he's leading this group of people. It's an incredible thing. His love for Jesus and his love for people, it's noteworthy, and Paul gets encouraged and filled with joy when he thinks of Philemon. And then the letter goes on. Here's what it says. Therefore, again he gets done commending him for his partnership in ministry, for loving Jesus and loving people. Then we pick it up again now in verse 8. Paul writes, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. There's a connection. He and Philemon have connected with each other. It's a deep connection. And Paul says, hey, we live in a Roman world. I could do the authoritative thing and say, you're going to do this. But Paul says, I don't want to do that. I would rather rest in the connection and the love that we have for each other. Paul says, that's what I'm going to appeal to. So he said, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, it is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Says it again. He's not a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He's a prisoner of Jesus. Christ has called him to follow him, and whatever hits Paul, he views it something that Christ will use. So he says to him, I'm in prison. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Pick up our reading again. That I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son when I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. By the way, that's a pun. You should be laughing. Why? Onesimus means useful. Ah, someone got it. Thank you. It's biblical humor. Paul's giving a little pun there because Onesimus has run away from Philemon. He is a runaway slave. And his name means useful, but how useful can he be as he has run away? And Paul says, just so you know, Philemon, he's been useful to me. And now that he's become a follower of Jesus, he will be useful to both of us. And then we pick it up in verse 12. 
I am sending Him who is my very heart. Sending Him back to you. I would have liked to have, I would like to keep Him with me so that He could take your place and helping me while I'm in chains for the Gospel. Hey Philemon, I know that you would like to be here taking care of me. But you know the runaway slave that ran away from your home? He took your place. He's the one that's been doing for me out of love for God and love for people. He's the one that's been doing for me, Philemon, that you would have loved to have been able to do. He took your place. Reading on. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. In other words, Philemon, I'm going to ask you that you would send Onesimus back. But I'm going to send him to you so that you get to choose because I'm not going to do the authoritative thing. We're going to do this out of mutual love and respect and an understanding of Christ and what He calls us to. It's a connection. Paul says, I'm going to rely on that. Verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. In other words, if he'd have stayed and not run away, he'd have never met Christ. And you'd have only had him as a slave. And when he died, you'd have been eternally separated. But because he ran away and I met him, and because I met him, he's now a follower of Jesus. He's got my very heart. He's my son in the faith. And because of that, now you'll have him for all eternity. Does this sound manipulative to you? It could be, unless you understand the love. And if you understand the love, you totally, totally get it. Reading on, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my very own hand. I will pay it back. Can you imagine what that would look like? Let me give you this scenario. Paul is in prison. Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, is his buddy. So all of a sudden, Philemon says, well, he stole 150 whatever, maybe $20,000 when he left my house. And so guess what, Paul? He owes me that money. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. If he owes it to you, I'll pay it back for him. Charge it to me. And if Philemon would try to collect on the debt, can you imagine the Apostle Paul going to Timothy saying, Hey Timothy, would you take up a love offering at the church of Ephesus next Sunday? What for? Well, the guy that's leading the church in Colossae says that that runaway slave that's been worshiping with you that guy says he owes him $20,000. Would you take up a love offering so that we can give him the money to pay off the debt? Can you imagine? Neither can I. And so here Paul says, listen Philemon, if he owes you anything, put it on my tab. I'll pay it. And then he goes on to say to Philemon in verse 19, not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> 
Wow. Paul led him to Jesus. And so now Paul is saying, look, if anyone's indebted anywhere, you're indebted to me. He might owe you 20 grand or whatever he stole, but you owe me your life. I brought you to Jesus. I explained who he is. And as we pick it up in verse 20, he says, I do not wish, brother, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. You're not going to stop there. Because when you have a loving connection with someone, they go way above and beyond the call of duty. And then we pick it up again in verse 22. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. In other words, get the guest room ready. I'm going to come for a visit. Let's see how this thing plays out. It's called accountability. Reading on, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, who, yes, wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts in the Newer Testament, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. What a letter. Now picture this. Picture this letter when Philemon gets it and he reads it. Paul in the letter says things like this, Onesimus took your place, Philemon. He's the one that's been taking care of me in prison. And by the way, Onesimus, I want you to receive him back, not as a runaway slave, but as a brother in Christ. In verse 14, he says, I want you to do this voluntarily of your own choice. I'm not going to force you I'm going to ask you. In other words, Philemon, I'm going to call you to an expression of love you never dreamt you would be called to. Never. I could command you. It's a Roman world. I have authority over you. I could command you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to rely on your connection with Christ and your connection with me that you'll be obedient and you'll even in love go beyond what obedience calls for. But I'd like for us to focus on verse 16. Because verse 16 is the centerpiece of this message. Here's what it says. Philemon, I want you to receive Onesimus back no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you. And then the next phrase would have shocked Philemon both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Here's why. Because in Roman times, when you owned a slave, they were nothing more than a beast. You could kill them without any legal ramifications. Many slaves were indentured servants. Financially, they had gotten into so much debt they couldn't pay it back and they were sold by the person that they were owed. They'd be sold into slavery to get some of their money back and so the abysmal story goes. Others had been the conquered peoples. 
Many of them had been conquered in battle or forcibly forced to relocate and in doing so had lost their identity. Now they're in the midst of slavery. Be that as it is, in the Roman world, slaves were nothing more than property. And verse 16 is one of those verses that grips the follower of Jesus by the throat and drags them to a whole nother level of love. The Apostle Paul says this to Philemon, I want you to stop viewing Onesimus as a beast. I want you to view him as your fellow man. He is a human being, not a beast. And on top of that, in verse 16, I want you to view him as a fellow man and a brother in the Lord. The beast can be saved. What an exceptional sentence. I recognize it's lost on us in our current day and age, but when Philemon opened up that letter and he read it, it would have absolutely shocked him. Shocked him to the core. Can you picture Philemon's response? Paul, he ran away. He was my slave. Paul, don't you know that our economy is based upon slavery? If I do what you're asking me to do, I'm going to be in trouble. And here's why. The whole town of Colossae is looking for him. They're going to know that he probably has returned. And if I'm going to be part of the slave owner guild, it'll be assumed that I will take him out into the front yard, I will beat him, and I will kill him. And that's the expectation. You imagine. And Paul says, if he skipped any work and you feel like he owes it to you, I'll pay you. And if he stole anything from you, I'll pay it myself. Can you imagine? The Apostle Paul then says, get the guest room ready because I'd like to come to your house for a visit, hang out for a while, and let's see how this thing goes. Can you imagine what it was like when Philemon received that letter. Can you imagine? I want you to also notice, though, that that is the story of a church that also meets in their home. Could have been just 20, 30 people. Could have been a couple hundred. No one knows. But this letter comes to their spiritual leader that calls them to a connection with people and a connection with God that is absolutely radical in their culture. Absolutely radical. But the Apostle Paul calls them to it. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Now let me speak to you as a pastor. Here's how I picture the Apostle Paul. He meets this young runaway slave. He leads him to Christ. And as he leads him to Christ, he hears his story. And then he hears a familiar name. Philemon. Onesimus, your master's name is Philemon? I'm connected to him in Christ. Oh my goodness, what good news. And Onesimus goes drop dead pale. He knows my master. And look, as a pastor, what you want to do at that moment is take the responsibility that is now in front of you and just sweep it under the rug. Just let Onesimus go on his way. 
just kind of let it go. Let's bury everything. Let's keep the peace. But the Apostle Paul, who is a man of integrity, does not do that. He pens a letter, the one you just read, and he calls in Philemon. He says, Philemon, you've been awesome to me. You have nurtured me in prison. You've given me strength. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I've written a letter on your behalf. I want you to take it and go back to your master, Philemon. I want you to carry it back to him, Onesimus, and I want you to hand him this letter. And Onesimus says, you got to be absolutely crazy. If I do that, he's going to kill me. And the Apostle Paul says, no, don't worry about that. Trust his connection with God through Jesus and trust his love for me and his love for people. And Onesimus says, but he thinks I'm a beast. I'm not a man. Paul says, just carry the letter. Take it to him. Trust God. Because you can't run your whole life. You need to go back and make it right. And I picture in my mind's eye as Philemon and his wife are getting ready to get some rest one evening and there's a knock on the door and Apphia goes and answers the door and lo and behold, there's standing their runaway slave, Onesimus. Who is it? It's Onesimus. Go get the executioner. I'm going to talk to him. And then... Onesimus, with trembling hand, hands Philemon a letter. He says, before you kill me, read it. And Philemon reads what you just read. And it transforms everything. Everything. Suddenly, because of Jesus, Philemon is called to a whole new level of loving God and loving people. It's one he never ever thought he would face. And then picture this. When he's done reading the letter, he says, okay, Jesus, I surrender. I'm going to change my entire view of culture and how life's supposed to work. Jesus, I'm, I'm going to lay it down. And Paul had one little sentence in there that was this, welcome me, welcome Onesimus the way you'd have welcomed me. In other words, the next time you get together to have the church at your house, I want Onesimus to be there. Because you'd have welcomed me, now you welcome him. And you bring him into your life group. Let him worship with you. Let the slave worship with the free men. Let him do it. Can you imagine being a part of that life group? Shocking. Absolutely shocking. It would have begun to revolutionize everything that was happening in that house. Everything. You see, hearing a message is one thing. Reading a letter is one thing. But when you sit down with a group of people in a home and you face what the letter has to say, and you begin to hold each other accountable, there's an opportunity to be touched by God and transformed by God that you don't get on a Sunday morning. I'm going to ask that Erica Bartos would join me up front. 
Erica is a school teacher at St. Anne's Belfield School. And she is a single lady that's part of City Church. And she's been part of one of our life groups at City. Everyone say, good morning, Erica. Good morning. I've asked that she would come on up here and that she would sort of briefly share about her experience as being part of a life group. First of all, which, which life group are you a part of? Who's your leader? And just kind of give us a brief overview. Uh, Tanya and Rob Eastman are my life group leaders. And we started five and a half years ago as one of the group point groups and have become our own group since then. Good deal. Now, in those five, past five and a half years, what has your life group meant to you? interesting group because it's full of people from all over the country and all over the world really we have indonesians and brazilians and um, i'm from new england so i'm not a virginian but that's <laughs> another country new england's like another country and by the way the patriots are not gonna do now yes. now they're they're not gonna do i need to rebuke you in church or can we okay go ahead sorry um, so i've moved a whole lot in my probably like nine different places since college, and moving by yourself is its own game. Um, so being in a life group is, it's like having a family um, in wherever you live, and my family is made up of people from all over the world. Um, the thing that I really, really like is how in a mixed group you can encourage each other with where you've been in your life and different experiences and you get to see different facets of who God is. Um, and Tanya and Rob really live the um, part in Thessalonians uh, where he says, we love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel but our lives. Um, and they just really, they're so open that they let people like me that hold our cards really close like share what we're going through as well. So it's always very mutually encouraging. So one last question. With the people being from all over the world, what are the potluck dinners like? Fantastic. They're fantastic. There's all right. There's always food at Life Group, too. So. There's always food. All right, let's give Erica a hand. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Thank you, Erica. Now, in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. Just a moment. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the new first century church, communion was called the love feast. It's when people from all over the world that other, uh, if it weren't for Jesus would have never gotten along. They would gather together and break bread. And together they would, they would celebrate Jesus together. It was an incredible thing. I can kind of picture it in my spirit this way. I picture the next-door neighbors to Philemon and his wife, Apphia. I picture it this way. Their names are Marcus and Sophia. They're their next-door neighbors. Philemon goes out to the mailbox, and he's getting his mail, and Marcus comes up to his mailbox, and he says, Hey, um, did I see Onesimus come to your front door yesterday? Philemon says, yes, you did. He said, awesome, awesome. He said, when are you going to put him in the front yard and beat him and kill him? I'm going to come watch. 
And Philemon says, well, not going to do that. Oh, you got to do that because if your slaves run away, you'll be broke. You don't get this. You're part of the guild. You've got to treat slavery a certain way. You've got to do this. No, 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 no. Philemon says, I, I, I'm not going to do that. Are you kidding? You're not going to do that. So Marcus goes storming into his house and he goes, Sophia, you'll never guess the conversation I just had with our next door neighbor, Philemon. He's lost his mind. And Sophia says, so has his wife. She lost her mind. We were at Garden Club the other day and you know, two years ago, she was just a witch of a woman. She was horrible. We always had to plant the tulips she wanted to plant. She was just miserable to be around. She was even worse in book club. <laughs> but I've noticed a change in her. She's different. So after bridge the other day, I asked her, what's going on? She started telling me about Jesus. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. And oh, by the way, Marcus, you won't believe it, but I heard, you know that church they have in their house? Marcus says, yes. You'll never believe who opened the meeting in prayer. It was Onesimus. He opened that meeting in prayer. Can you believe it? Not only didn't they kill him, he's part of their church. Can you believe it? These people have gone crazy. And after a moment of silence, Marcus and Sophia say, I think we should visit. I think we should visit. How about at church on Sunday, let's go visit them. Let's see what's happening. Because they are so radically different in their love for God and love for people than anyone we've ever met that maybe we should go and check it out. Because if someone refuses to kill a slave, it means that money does not run their life. If they've let them be a part of their church, that means they view those people differently. And you know what, Sophia? How we're living hasn't been working anyway. So maybe going there will experience something that can transform us too. You see, here's what I know to be true. When we talk about my city in connecting, number one, to connect at this level, it is Christ-called and intentional. It doesn't just happen. Christ calls us to it. And it's intentional. Number two, it's a whole new level of love. A whole new level. And number three, I'm accountable in my love. You see, Paul said, get the guest room ready. I'm going to come for a visit. And I want to see how this is going. How it looks. How you've walked it out. You know what? I don't want to force you. I want you to do this out of love for Jesus. Love for me and love for people. So my question is, as we get ready to take communion, how are we doing with this radical kind of love? As we get ready to take communion together, if you did not receive communion, just raise your hand. 
keep it raised. We have people that are now prepared to hand you communion. But my question would be, how are we doing in this area of our lives? It's a serious question. Are we loving with a kind of love that shines like Jesus? Or is the kind of love that we have more of a selfish love instead of a love for Him? I have the clearest sense that for many of us sitting here, Christ is calling us to a new level of love. It's a love that supersedes finances. It's a love that definitely supersedes and wipes away racism and bigotry and hatred. It's a love that carries us to a level at which God flows to us and through us to others. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, go ahead and open up the communion emblems if you have not already. Open it. And before we move, before we stand together, I'd want you to take just a moment and question in your own heart. How are you doing in the face of this kind of love? The Bible doesn't command you to do this. The Bible calls you. The Bible calls you. Would in this moment the Holy Spirit bring anything to mind? Maybe a person, maybe a group of people, that God would say, there's a new level of love that I'm going to call you to for that individual or for that group of people. Maybe it's a group of people that you used to work with and they slammed the door in front of you. Your heart's broken. Maybe it's people that should have loved and supported you, but they undermined you criticized you, pulled the rug out from underneath you. I don't know what the case may be, but in this moment is God bringing someone to mind or to heart that He would like for you, He would even call you to surrender into Him and to have a new level of love because of how much Christ has loved us. Let's stand together. going to take just a moment. I'm going to read some scripture. We're going, to ring, we're going to sing together a stanza of a hymn. Here's what Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's hold the bread up before the Lord as we sing this hymn together. Let's sing it to the Lord.
you for your broken body, which you gave in love for us. The scriptures declare to us that by your stripes we are healed. Let's partake together. The Apostle Paul goes on to write to the church in Corinth, in the same way after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord as we sing the next stanza. we hold the emblem and the symbol of your blood up before you we give you thanks that your shed blood forgives us of our sins and it cleanses us from all unrighteousness as we bring our sins to you I pray over those of us who have struggled in this area of our lives that we spoke of today God help us to be a people who live out the love of Jesus not out of command but out of choice of heart Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. We owe you our very lives. Let's drink the cup together. As we conclude our time, some of you have already figured something out. This one letter that is seven or eight paragraphs long in the Newer Testament has revolutionized Western culture. It was from this letter that a handful of people in Britain hundreds of years ago read this letter and they realized that they were sinful and how they had been treating people and God convicted them. God convicted them deeply and they repented and called a nation to repentance. Many years later, the same happened in this nation of ours. Last Monday, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. holiday to remember again the transformation or what's being transformed in our culture. We stand in the MLK auditorium that is dedicated to him and his life. And what we need to clearly understand, it was the book of Philemon that began to puncture the hearts of people all over the world that were followers of Jesus. This simple letter written to one man who was helping to serve and to lead a church in his home 2,000 years ago. This one simple letter has revolutionized Western culture. And all I can say is, thank you, Jesus. You see, God's Word is powerful. It's able to transform. It's able to make a difference. 
in your life and in my life, in our church family, and in the greater Charlottesville area. But here's what I know. I believe that Philemon got his church together. And he said, I've got a new command from God and I'm going to follow it willingly. The Apostle Paul says, I've been living wrong. I want to repent. Onesimus is one of us. We're going to walk together as, as a church this way. And out of that commitment to Jesus and to others and out of his connection to Paul, the Western world has been revolutionized by this simple letter. Will you let it revolutionize your heart and your life today? Can we close in prayer? When we're concluded in prayer, if you would like to stay and spend time in worship, you can. If you have a special prayer need, we invite you to come forward. Our prayer teams will be up front to pray with you and to pray for you. But my simple call out of love for Jesus and love for this church and maybe the weakest link of all, maybe your love for me, that you would consider your heart. Where are you at with this 2,000-year-old battle? Have you surrendered it to Jesus fully? Jesus, I thank you for these few paragraphs that we have read. I pray it would revolutionize my heart and the hearts of all of us that are here. Forgive us for our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we, we, may we hear your voice calling us to intentional obedience, to a new level of love. And I pray that others in this room would hold us accountable the same way that Apostle Paul did for Philemon. I also want to pray for anyone like Onesimus in this room whose soul has the wounds and the scars of being treated in a way that no human being should ever be treated. I pray for supernatural healing and I pray for the love of this church family that hearts would be mended in your presence. Now Jesus, thank you for the victory that you give us. Thank you for your word and the powerful transforming work of the Holy Spirit of God that is as real in this moment as he was 2,000 years ago when this letter was penned. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. And may he give us peace. Let's worship together as we go. God bless you.
Thank you, Jesus.
I've received, I will sow. 